Live from ABC News in New York, this is Good Morning America. They killed the music, I but know. we can keep it going. <laughs> I have. say Texas. Why is it so catchy? Why? <laughs> Oh, we just finally introduced it to Wit, and yeah. he is into the acoustics, it's the all line about dancing, the, the knee slap, and <laughs> slapping everything. that knee. <laughs> Good morning, America! Happy Sunday, beginning of the week, and we have so much news to get to this morning. Major news, including possible signs of hope for a ceasefire and the Israel-Hamas war. We'll go live to Israel for the latest on the delicate negotiations. Also ahead this morning, a star player on Duke's basketball team. Take a look at this injured overnight in the chaos when fans storm the court raising new wow. questions oh. about whether behavior like this should be banned and here we go again in washington as congress faces another looming deadline to avoid a spending cutoff and government shutdown we're going to have the latest on talks on capitol hill of course following that but we do begin in south carolina with the results overnight of the republican presidential primary donald trump defeating the state's former two-time governor nikki haley ABC's Alex Prochet joins us live in Charleston. Alex, good morning. This didn't come as a surprise, but it's not stopping her. That's right, Janae. Nikki Haley's campaign has consistently said that she needed to remain competitive in South Carolina and close the gap with Donald Trump. But the fact remains, she did not, actually performing worse here than she did in New Hampshire. Still, she says she's staying in this race. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was... An even bigger win than we anticipated. And This morning, Donald Trump declaring a clean sweep of early primary states after a convincing win in South Carolina overnight. Trump taking it by 20 ever. points. There's never been a spirit like this. And I just want to say that I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Trump is the first non-incumbent Republican presidential candidate to win Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. America will come apart if we make the wrong choices. For Nikki Haley, the loss in her home state hurts. The campaign vowing overnight to continue on at least until Super Tuesday. In 10 days, 20 plus states and territories are going to vote. Let them vote. America doesn't do coronations. The divide between the Trump and Haley campaigns continuing to widen. I don't believe Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden. Nearly every day, Trump drives people away. These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones. Trump's win in South Carolina coming only one day after the former president made racially insensitive remarks at a black conservative gala. The mugshot, we've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. His opponents pouncing. Haley called the statements a huge warning sign. The Biden campaign called them blatantly racist and moronic. Trump didn't address the remarks at all on primary night, but some Haley supporters pointing to statements like these as difficult to defend. A reason moderates might be attracted to Haley the longer she stays in the race. It's not about Nikki Haley. It's about damaging Trump. All sorts of places. Now, Donald Trump is walking away with at least 44 of 50 delegates here in South Carolina. Three are still outstanding. But next up is the Michigan primary on Tuesday. Wait. All right, Alex Brashay for us. Thank you so much. Let's get a closer look now at the results in South Carolina with our ABC News political director, Rick Klein. Rick, good morning to you. So walk us through what went right for Donald Trump. 
Yeah, we had, almost everything went right for Donald Trump. This was a blowout. We talked about closing the gap. We went from about 11 points in New Hampshire to more than 20 in the final tally in South Carolina. Uh, a couple of counties, only three out of 46 carried by Nikki Haley, even though she was governor of that state. One of the key ones, her home county of Charleston, the low country where there's a more liberal and a, and a little bit of a more retirement community down there. This is the one congressional district that she carried. That's how she ends up with three delegates. But that's three delegates out of 50 across the state. This was an absolute blowout by Donald Trump and a major statement in Nikki Haley's home state. And Rick, we heard from voters in South Carolina as they left the polls. What stands out to you? Yeah, a couple of things to focus on. First, the, the, the issue that Donald Trump has with independent voters remains real. Look at this. Seventy percent of Republicans said that they voted for Donald Trump. Remember, in South Carolina, independents, even Democrats were allowed to vote. But among independents, it was 60-29 in the other direction. That's Nikki Haley dominating among independents. So for a Republican primary, Donald Trump is dominant. But when you look to the general election, you might see some issues. Now, the key the key question that Nikki Haley put to voters was one of electability, and it frankly fell flat. We asked people if they thought that Donald Trump or Nikki Haley were able to beat Joe Biden. 82% say it's likely that Donald Trump beats Biden. That's only 59% when it comes to Nikki Haley. And given all the legal issues that Donald Trump is facing, we asked in the exit polls if, if Donald Trump would be qualified, would be fit to serve if he was a, a convicted of a crime. 61% of Republicans said yes, but 36% saying no is actually a significant number. That makes Nikki Haley's point. That's more than a third of Republican voters who say that Donald Trump would not be fit to be president if he's convicted of a crime. And Rick, despite all of that, as we heard from Alex in his piece, Nikki Haley took to the stage last night telling supporters she's staying in the race. Just how difficult is her path forward now? Yeah, we, it is really hard. Now, there's a lot of voting to come, but we are in a national campaign right now. And after Michigan on Tuesday, a week later is Super Tuesday. Look at all these states from California to Maine, a whole lot of delegates at stake. But here's the thing. When, when it comes to places where Nikki Haley can actually be competitive, there's only about seven states where she can even pick up delegates, realistically speaking. The rules are written in a way that makes it very hard for someone who's behind to catch up. So she's going to be hitting places like Texas and Virginia and North Carolina, not just not to win the state. That's probably not going to happen, but maybe just to pick up a few delegates here or there. And the brutal math is, is tied to this calendar. Right now, we're still pretty early, but as of March 5th, Super Tuesday, almost half of all the delegates are selected. And by that point, it will be almost impossible for anyone to catch Donald Trump. Nikki Haley in a much diminished place in terms of trying to catch up. Really, she's there as a backup plan. Whit. All right, Rick Klein for us. We know you had a late night and an early morning with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And tune into this week later on this morning. Martha Raddatz will have much more on the presidential race. Plus, Martha speaks exclusively with Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois about the Democrats' fight to safeguard reproductive rights and gets the latest from White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan as the war in Ukraine enters its third year. Geo. All right, Whit, now to new U.S. airstrikes in the Middle East. The U.S. Central Command saying 18 Houthi targets in Yemen were hit overnight by U.S. and allied forces. ABC's Mary Alice Parks is following the developments right now. Good morning, Mary Alice. Yeah, Gio, good morning. This is the fourth round of these strikes, but Houthi rebels in Yemen so far have only escalated their attacks, fueling fears of a wider war and begging the question, what are these strikes accomplishing? Overnight, the U.S. and U.K. launching yet another round of punishing strikes on Iran-backed rebels in Yemen. 
The Pentagon saying warships and fighter jets hit 18 targets, including underground weapon storage facilities, attack drones, radars, and a helicopter. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying in a statement the U.S. will not hesitate to take action to defend lives and the free flow of commerce. For months now, the Houthi rebels, armed by Iran, have been targeting ships in the Red Sea, a costly disruption to one of the world's most critical trade routes. Last month, the U.S. and U.K., with support from several allies, launched the first wave of these strikes to try to halt those attacks. This latest round overnight, now the fourth. But the Houthis show no signs of stopping, instead vowing to escalate their attacks, which they say are in protest of Israel's war in Gaza with U.S. support. Among the dozen of Houthi attacks now, one of their missiles successfully hit a British vessel carrying fertilizer this week, leaving that ship taking on water and creating an 18-mile-long oil slick. The Houthis are creating an environmental hazard right in their own backyard. Now, in addition to these major strikes, last month the U.S. was exchanging fire with the Houthis almost every day, taking down incoming rockets, weapons prepared to launch. Now, the White House has acknowledged that these attacks have kept coming, but they have vowed to keep up the pressure until they stop. Janae? Well, we have continued to follow that, and we will continue to do so. Mary Alice, thank you. Staying overseas now to Israel and possible movement toward a ceasefire in Gaza. ABC's Marcus Moore joins us live from Tel Aviv with the latest on where negotiations stand. Marcus, good morning to you. There is some headway being made. Yeah, yeah, Janae, uh, good morning. We've learned more about just how much progress negotiators have been able to make. And, and there's certainly a long way to go. But by all accounts, things are moving. According to Israeli government sources, Israeli mediators have agreed to an updated framework that includes a six-week ceasefire in Gaza, as well as the release of 40 hostages, including women, the elderly, uh, injured, and sick. But no male soldiers or bodies of the dead. Now, in exchange, Israel would release several hundred Palestinian prisoners, perhaps as many as 300 to 400, according to a source. Now, Israel would also redeploy its troops, but says it would not withdraw them from Gaza. These developments are coming as Israel prepares a push into the southern city of Rafah, it says, in an effort to eliminate Hamas. And as you know, there's growing concern for the 1.4 million Palestinians there, including more than a million who have come from other parts of Gaza, forced from their homes by the fighting. Hamas officials have not responded directly to whether they have seen the new proposals, but they have continually said that Hamas would only release the hostages when Israel stops his bombardment and withdraws troops from Gaza. Now, more talks are coming uh, in Qatar this week, with many hoping there can be a deal before Ramadan, which is less than three weeks away. With. We'll stand by for more news on that. Marcus Moore, thank you. Now to the war in Ukraine. G7 leaders meeting in Kyiv as Ukraine fights on two years after the Russian invasion. President Biden joining the meeting via video conference. And ABC's Ike Jachi is joining us now from Capitol Hill, where an American aid package remains stalled in Congress. Ike, good morning. Good morning, Witt. On the heels of announcing the largest tranche of sanctions against Russia since they began their full-scale invasion of Ukraine two years ago, President Biden virtually meeting with allies to make sure support for Ukraine continues. Now, the leaders calling on Russia to end its war of aggression and withdraw their troops from the battlefield. The group promising to raise the cost of this war for Russia by committing to enforce recent sanctions. On Friday, President Biden announcing 500 new sanctions against Russia targeting its war machine. Now, moving forward, the leaders say additional sanctions 
will be levied against companies and people who help Russia acquire and build weapons. The group releasing a joint statement after the call saying as Ukraine entered its third year of this relentless war, its government and its people can count on the G7 support for as long as it takes. Now, this comes as a standalone $60 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan requested by President Biden and passed by the Senate is in limbo as some House Republicans loyal to former President Donald Trump refuse to pass any kind of aid. Gio? All right, Ikejachi, thank you so much. And here at home, testimony is set to continue tomorrow in the trial of the armorer involved in that deadly shooting on the set of the movie Rust. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was responsible for the prop weapons, is charged with involuntary manslaughter. She has pleaded not guilty. Alec Baldwin, who fired that fatal shot, is charged with involuntary manslaughter in a separate case. Janae. All right, Gio, now to your home state of Florida and that measles outbreak in schools. This is the state to CDC guidance on how to handle it. ABC's Rena Roy is here with more. Rena, good morning. At this point, more than a half dozen kids infected. Yeah, that's right, Janae. Good morning. Measles was actually declared eliminated here in the U.S. more than two decades ago. But experts say we've been seeing these sporadic outbreaks in recent years, partially because of a drop in routine childhood vaccinations. This morning, measles cases on the rise in South Florida. At Manatee Bay Elementary School near Fort Lauderdale, six students reportedly coming down with the virus and another case just reported in the community by health officials. Well, we have an outbreak in a school that's uh, numbering less than 10. Uh, but the issue is that, in fact, it's the first outbreak with the anticipation that there'll be multiple outbreaks. There's now growing concern with the elementary school's protocols, as children without immunity are typically recommended to stay at home for 21 days after exposure and receive the vaccine as soon as possible. On Tuesday, the school superintendent visiting Manatee Elementary to ease fears. It's safe. It's safe if your child is... Uh vaccinated. Noting at a school board meeting the next day that 33 out of the more than 1,000 students are not vaccinated for measles. This after Florida Surgeon General sent a letter acknowledging the outbreak, but deferring to parents or guardians to make decisions about school attendance, even if those children have not been vaccinated. Nationwide, the CDC now reporting a total of 35 measles cases in 15 states. Measles is highly contagious and spread through the air when an infected person person coughs or sneezes. Symptoms may include fever, cough, runny nose, watery eyes, and a rash of red spots. In rare cases, it may lead to pneumonia, encephalitis, or even death. We've had a decrease in the immunization rates, in particular post-COVID, and we're seeing outbreaks annually across the country. The measles outbreak in Florida should be a clarion call to all parents to vaccinate their children. Now, some school officials in Florida are offering free vaccination clinics amid this outbreak, really just hoping to get those vaccination rates up across the area. Whit. Okay, Rena Roy, thank you. Overnight, a Duke basketball star is the latest player to be injured after fans stormed the court at the end of the game. Now there are new calls for court storming to be banned altogether. ABC's Morgan Norwood is here with more on that story. Morgan, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Whit. Yeah, Duke star center Kyle Filipowski says he sprained his ankle when Wake fans sprinted onto the court following the Demon Deacons win. Now, Flip thinks that all of this was intentional, and now his coach wants to ban court storming altogether. You got to see this video. Look at that. Hundreds of fans pouring onto the court after Wake pulled off that upset victory. Flip seen hobbling off the court, his teammates helping him to the locker room. 
The player, though, taking to Twitter saying this got to change. And his coach, John Shayer, he agrees. He's worried about Flip's status given his injury and is saying a dangerous thing, calling this a dangerous thing, adding this happened to us a bunch this year. And he's, he's right. Flip's incident is just the latest to raise concern. Last month, Iowa's Caitlin Clark tumbled to the floor after colliding with the fan after the Hawkeyes loss at Ohio State. So the ACC saying overnight, we have seen far too many of these incidents that put individuals at serious risk. ACC schools don't have a fine or penalty in place for when fans rush the court. But given this latest incident, Geo, there are calls for the ACC to crack down. And if they're hurt, they can't play. So what's yeah. the point? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Morgan. Appreciate you. And let's turn it over to Samara Theodore now with the weather. You've got some new storms coming our way. It's huh? one storm after the next, right? So we have our next story. This storm is coming in through the west as we head through today. We have winter storm warnings in effect. Winter weather advisories in parts of California and the Sierra Nevada. Winter storm watches. Even avalanche watches in effect. So timing out this system. This storm system is going to hit the Rockies over the next 24 hours. But then by Wednesday, it actually makes its way into the middle of the country. So areas like Chicago, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Springfield, Tuesday is the day that you are going to see thunderstorms, and some of those storms will be occurring later in the day, overnight, and there is a threat for an isolated tornado. So keep those alerts on the phone. And then Wednesday, we see that shift a little farther east, and all the severe weather possible because of record-breaking heat. We could hit 84 in Midland, Texas. And then finally, I just want to show you this. Dallas, Texas on Monday in February could be 92 degrees. That's a look at the forecast across the country. You're the lemon to my lime this morning. Oh, <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Samara. Now to some airline price changes ahead of spring break. One major carrier's increased baggage fees already taking effect today. ABC's Alexis Christophorus is here with the details and some travel hacks. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Janae. So United is the latest airline to hike baggage fees following similar moves this year by American JetBlue and Alaska Air. Starting today, it'll cost you five bucks more to check a bag on United. Now $35 if you pre pay online 40 at the airport. They say the fees are necessary to combat higher costs for things like fuel and labor. Baggage fees are big bucks, earning U.S. Airlines nearly $7 billion in 2022. One way to save? Do like my family does and pack lighter. Roll those clothes instead of folding them to fit more into a carry-on. Turn your one personal item into a well-packed backpack or wear your luggage using the fishing vest hack made popular on TikTok. A softer duffel bag type luggage may also meet carry-on requirements more easily than one with a hard case, Janae. All right, Alexis, and a question for you. American Airlines is limiting how to earn miles. What do we know about that? That's right. So starting in May, you'll need to book directly with American Airlines or its airline partners to earn miles or loyalty points. American says it will release a list of preferred travel agencies in April where you can also earn those miles. Guys? Some big changes got to keep track. Maybe that means the lounges won't be so busy. Too. Oh, the lounges oh. are out of control. I just want to see like, y'all wearing the fishing vest. Yeah. The fishing vest. Thank you. Just have all the goods. Everything just we're just gonna wear it on the plane. Uh, all right, we got a lot to cover here on GMA. Still ahead this morning, new details in the killing of a nursing student in Georgia as a suspect appears in court. Amy Schumer goes public with a health update. We're gonna have the latest on her condition. And Beyonce's breakthrough hit, topping the country chart, bringing recognition. To other black female artists trying to conquer country music 
Wait, this is the other one. He's slapping his leg slower. We'll be right back. <laughs> Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. This ain't Texas. Ain't no holding. Hey, lay your cards down, 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 down. Get your boots. Get your hat. Welcome back to Weekend GMA on this Sunday morning. Beyonce's country single, Texas Hold'em, reached the top spot on the Billboard Country Song chart last week, making her the first black female artist to get to number one. Coming up, we are taking a look at how she is shaking up the country scene, but shining light on black country artists. They were both clapping. We were. We were. I, I was giddy enough. We were just doing that. We were is making that what it happen, I was wondering guys. what that yeah. was? It is just like, so good. And we, yeah. and we've been singing it all morning long because we just keep and hearing it. it's fun it. and light. Yeah. yeah. Like that's your favorite line. <laughs> uh, let's take a look at some of the other big stories we are following on this Sunday morning here. Happening right now, Donald Trump winning South Carolina's Republican primary. The former president declaring a clean sweep of early primary states. Trump is the first non-incumbent Republican presidential candidate to win Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley vowing overnight to continue on with her campaign. Also right now, Mississippi's governor has identified two National Guard troops who were killed in a helicopter crash on Friday. Chief Warrant Officer Brian Zemeck was 36 years old and Chief Warrant Officer Derek Abbott was 42. Both were on a routine training flight and were killed when their Apache helicopter went down in the woods near Boonville. And Pope Francis was back leading the crowd at the Vatican in prayer this morning. This after the pontiff canceled all public appearances on Saturday due to what's being described as a mild case of the flu. 
The 87-year-old has suffered from several health issues in recent years. He canceled a trip to Dubai back in December due to a bronchial infection. Glad he's feeling better. Yeah, glad to see him doing well. All right, and we are going to start this half hour here with the suspect accused of killing a student jogging on a University of Georgia campus facing a judge. ABC's Morgan Norwood has more on what we're learning about him. Morgan, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Gio. Yeah, police say Jose Ibarra and Lake and Riley didn't know each other that this was a crime of opportunity. The charge is so severe that the judge immediately denying Ibarra's bond. But this morning, we're seeing mounting questions surrounding Ibarra's immigration status. All of this as his brother faces separate charges, too. Jose Ibarra, the suspect charged in the killing of nursing student Lakin Riley on the University of Georgia's campus, ordered to remain behind bars. The 26-year-old going before a judge on murder, aggravated assault, and kidnapping charges, and what authorities call the first homicide at UGA in nearly 30 years. This court is not authorized under Georgia law to set bond in light of these charges. We're also asserting his rights under the Fifth Amendment um, to remain silent. Riley disappeared Thursday. Her friends calling police after the former high school cross-country star never came back from her morning run. Officers finding her body hours later near the running trails at UGA, where she used to go to school. Police say security camera footage, along with community tips, led them to Ibarra. Investigations suggest that they had no relationship. Uh, he did not know her at all. Um, I think this was a crime of opportunity. And this morning, new questions surrounding Ibarra's immigration status. Police revealing Ibarra is a non-U.S. resident from Venezuela. It comes as Ibarra's brother, Diego, who authorities say is undocumented, faces separate charges of his own. According to court documents, police approached Diego Ibarra because he matched the description of a homicide suspect. And when asked for ID, they say he presented a fraudulent green card. Meanwhile, a heartbroken community honoring Lakin Riley, her nearby college, Augusta University, describing her as a promising future nurse. Her sister writing on Instagram, this isn't fair, and I will never understand it. I will miss and love you forever, Lakin. And so though police said Jose Ibarra doesn't have an extensive criminal history, we're learning that he was arrested here in New York last year after he arrived in the city from the Texas border. He was charged with operating a moped without a license and child endangerment as police say his son was riding without head protection or restraint. With. Truly an alarming case. Still a lot of questions, too, Morgan. Thank you. Now to actress and comedian Amy Schumer opening up about her health battle after fans grew concerned about her appearance as she highlights the importance of advocating for women's health. ABC's Jacqueline Lee joins us now from Los Angeles with more. Jacqueline, good morning. Anyway, good morning. I mean, who doesn't love Amy Schumer? She's honest and hysterical, and now she's sharing her health struggles as she asks people to be more kind to themselves and to others. This morning, comedian Amy Schumer is bravely sharing her story after getting diagnosed with Cushing's syndrome. In an Instagram post, Schumer said she received a lot of judgment and shame online after appearing on late night television, writing, I've enjoyed feedback and deliberation about my appearance, as all women do, for almost 20 years. And you're right, it is puffier than normal right now. You're so fat. I'm pregnant that. After a barrage of comments about her looks online, the Life and Beth star announcing Friday she has exogenous Cushing's syndrome, brought on by getting steroid injections in high doses. Uh, do I look okay? Well, it's too late. 
Schumer vulnerably adding, aside from fears about my health, I also had to be on camera having the internet chime in. Cushing's syndrome occurs when the body makes too much of the hormone cortisol, sometimes called the stress hormone because it helps the body respond to stress, like helping maintain blood pressure, regulate blood sugar, and reduce inflammation. Too much of it, as is what happens in Cushing's syndrome, can lead to symptoms like increased fat deposits in the upper back, the trunk, the face, it can lead to skin changes such as acne, easy bruising. In 2019, Terry Leno shared her own struggles with getting diagnosed with Cushing's disease, a form of Cushing's syndrome caused by a benign tumor in the pituitary gland, opening up about all of the physical changes that come along with the condition. I was getting big bruises, bad, ugly bruises that, you know, I had no explanation what they were from the excess cortisol. The disease often affects adults between 30 to 50 years old. Women are three times more likely to have it. Schumer taking on the shame women often endure about their appearance even during illness, saying, I want so much for women to love themselves and be relentless when fighting for their own health in a system that usually doesn't believe them. And Schumer pointed out that rather than viewers focusing on her accomplishments like writing, directing and starring in a TV show, they focused on her face instead. She says she wants to bring attention to self-love and acceptance for the skin you're in. Guys. Oh, we love that message, Jacqueline. Thank you. It is time now for another check of the weather and Samara Theodore. It's going to be feeling warmer here, but that's snow behind you. <laughs> yeah, so we have some record heat moving into the middle of the country. Yesterday, we had a little clipper system that kind of swooped down and brought some snow to our friends in Snowshoe, West Virginia. You can see this here, all these big lofty flakes falling down there behind it. It's really chilly in the Northeast this morning. Uh, Saranac Lake feeling like four degrees. D.C., our nation's capital, feeling like 26. New York feeling like 18 degrees. Even as far south as Nashville, feeling like the 20s. Well, what happens next? So you know we have the severe storms moving through cities like Chicago, Indianapolis on Tuesday night. And then by Wednesday, rain arrives on the I-95 corridor. And we could see some snow further inland in states like Pennsylvania and New York. That's a look at the forecast across the country. Back to you guys. All right, Samara, thank you so much. And coming up here on Good Morning America, Beyonce making history as she shoots up the country's charts. Go for it, Janae. Get your Welcome hobby horses. Janae's got the there hobby go. horse. Highlighting <laughs> other black female artists in the industry. Stick around. You're watching GMA. <laughs> Back now on GMA with Beyonce crossing over into country in a big way, becoming the first black female artist to score a number one spot on the song chart. ABC's Rena Roy says the achievement is also bringing bigger visibility to others in the country music world because the song is everywhere. Rena, good morning again. It truly is everywhere, Janae. I gotta say, I've loved your dances this morning. <laughs> and I think it goes without saying, Beyonce can really do it all, right? Her latest country songs are not only breaking records, but breaking down doors for other black country artists striving for mainstream recognition. This morning, Queen Bee adding another jewel to her crown, making history yet again with her new country hits. Becoming the first black woman ever to top Billboard's hot country music chart. Texas Hold'em holding that number one spot ahead of her highly anticipated new album, Act Two. It'd be the first black woman 
to debut at number one for Texas Hold'em. That's history in itself. The Beehive buzzing along with the country music world, also putting the spotlight on other black female artists who are making their own way in the genre, like Tanner Adell. And Mickey Guyton. Country music also looks like this. Writing, I'm grateful that Beyonce has expanded this conversation and now so many amazing artists are getting the shine they deserve. Beyonce isn't the only Black artist tapping into that country drama and it's good that this is a conversation. This is something that's really going to open the doors for like new country artists that might be watching this. And it comes after this surprise Grammys performance with Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman. Her classic hit, Fast Car, immediately skyrocketing in sales and streams more than three decades after its debut. Chapman also becoming the first black person to ever win Song of the Year at the Country Music Awards. And guys, none other than Dolly Parton herself gave Beyonce her stamp of approval, saying she's a big fan and cannot wait to hear the album. And look, clearly we can't wait either. Wit's been knee slapping, Janae's been horse riding. I've had this song on repeat. It's a good song. Can't you know, blame us, right? Yes. And, and the awesome thing about Dolly Parton, she was interviewed once about, I think it was Jolene, and said that she would love to hear Beyonce sing it. Uh, can you imagine that? Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Serena, thank you very much. Thank you. And coming up here on GMA, the big winners at last night's SAG Awards. Stick around. And I know what it means. Welcome back to GMA and the SAG Awards happening overnight, revealing some potential favorites in the run-up to the Oscars now just two weeks away. ABC's Zareen Shaw is in L.A. with a look at who went home as the big winners. Zareen, good morning. Hey, Wick, good morning. This was fun to watch. I mean, there were flashbacks. They kept dipping into previous SAG Awards for these great gems. The fashion was so great. I mean, Tan France was one of the hosts, so what do you expect? And then, of course, there were the favorites going in. Janae, I had my eye on yours. But what does it mean to win and to lose right in the middle of Oscar voting? Thank you so much for this. This morning, the winners from the Screen Actors Guild now gearing up for the biggest award show of them all the Oscars. I have long believed it's not so much what you win. A lot of it is the last thing that happens before ballots get turned in. This is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Oppenheimer winning the SAG Awards top prize, outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. It means the world to us. Best cast in a motion picture, best male supporting actor, best male leading. But despite the hype, Barbie with zero wins. If you'd been around, I would have offered you the same advice. Succession only winning for Best Ensemble in a drama series. The other TV awards split between The Bear, Beef, The Last of Us, and The Crown. Wow, they give you a lot of time at this one, but that's all I have. Um... And it was a night of firsts. Lily Gladstone, the first Native American nominated or winning a SAG, starring her speech in the Native American language of Blackfeet. We bring empathy into a world that so much needs it. Several reunions happening that night from Devil Wears Prada. By all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. To Modern Family. You know what I miss about it most of all? Going to work every day. The money. Oh. <laughs> And even the cast of Breaking Bad coming together once again. And Barbara Streisand accepting her Lifetime Achievement Award. This is such a wonderful award to get because 
you know in advance you're going to get it. When you look at someone like Barbara Streisand, she is someone that has paved the way for so many to come after her. Now, that was such an emotional tribute. And Janae, I know your hopes for succession, you know, were totally met, but hopefully your movie predictions might be a little more spot on. Clayton's predictions are on Oppenheimer. He thinks we might be looking at one of the largest Best Picture halls since maybe Slumdog Millionaire. Look, Zoreen, uh, that is exactly <laughs> what Mr. Whit yep. Johnson was just telling us. He just, just sold Oppenheimer. So we'll come back in a couple weeks. I, 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 you it. know, I'm no Clayton Davis. Right. You know, he knows what he's actually talking about, but, but no, Oppenheimer's know. phenomenal. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to win Zoreen. And we will be right Thanks, back guys. with our play of the day. All right, back now on GMA and the guy who really puts his best foot forward. Check, check this out here. Dad showing off his fancy footwork. He's able to patch a, an amazing amount of things with Ooh, his yeah. feet. Wow. Doesn't seem player. to matter what kind of item gets thrown. Wow. This guy can handle it. A pineapple. Why am I holding the kid? Can you do that, Wood? Yeah, you're a soccer player. Oh, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> his Coming knees to a can't handle that. You. <laughs> <laughs> Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. 